Let's look at our notes tonight. Um, as always, the ground rules are very simple. Contribute. How about that? Feel free. Jump in. Say what you have had experience with. Help me teach this thing. I am certainly no expert, um, and so I always appreciate your contribution, your participation, and, and so unless you want me to talk the whole time and, and fill up the whole time until the game starts in an hour and 15 minutes, then I suggest that you that you contribute. I'm just joking. Some of you are going to take me seriously and think that's all he cares about. Relax. It's really not. How to begin. When we think about personal evangelism, we've talked about why we should do it. We've talked about what the gospel is. What exactly are we trying to communicate? And tonight, I just want to give us sort of a starting point. How do we begin to talk about this? How do we begin when it comes to this? First thing is this, and I think this is simple. Identify the unbelievers in your life. Identify them. Let me ask you a trick question. How do you identify the unbelievers in your life? Okay? Maybe by the things they do and say. What else? Okay. <laughs> Very good. The flip side of that is probably true as well. The things they don't do and say. That's good. Anybody else? How do you identify those people? That's true. If you see them walking out of the, the, the uh, local uh, pagan or Satanist or demonology sort of uh, store or wearing that sort of thing, then potentially you could uh, identify them as a, as a person who does not believe in Jesus. It, it's a trick question, but you're not going to be embarrassed if you say anything. I'll, I'll tell you that. So it is a trick question. All right? Everybody's scared not to say anything. Oh, it's going to embarrass me. Another reason it's a trick question is because I'm not sure you can really, really, really know if someone is a believer or not. Certainly there are indicators, and we know that uh, the way we live must be affected by our belief. Right belief leads to right action. But at the same time, the only way, the only person that can know if a person's a believer is them. But at the same time, we have these things, and this is why nobody is wrong in saying the things that you said. We have these things that we can say, well, I don't think they are. They're probably not. Based upon the way they talk, what they say, what they do, what they don't do, et cetera, et cetera, they're probably not. And so that's sort of what we're going for, identifying the people that, you know what, I don't think they are. We're not the ones who judge whether or not a person is saved or not, obviously. But at the same time, we can sort of, by their actions, by their words, by what they say and don't say and all, and all that, get an idea. Certainly, one thing that you can, uh, can know, how do you identify, is maybe a person who never, ever, ever goes to church and has no desire to. And going to church does not make you a believer in Jesus Christ. Let me clear that up real quick. Everybody knows that. But certainly we're talking about people who are unchurched, people who are far from God and really don't want anything to do with him. And that's, that's who we're talking about. We try to identify those people. Think about it for just a second. And maybe on this paper somewhere, you've already had a couple of names pop in your head. And, and you maybe just write them down just to sort of, because the next one will we'll, 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 we'll need to write their names down. But who are those people? How many of you 
you've got somebody in mind right now who you say, you know, I don't, I don't think they're a believer, or I know you can't really know that you know, but I know they're not. Anybody got somebody like that that's in your family? Nuclear family, extended family, cousin, uh, grandchild, any, yeah. Uh, anybody who's, who's working right now in a, in a job somewhere, you work with people who are unbelievers. Uh, I had the good fortune of that not the case with me. Uh, I can raise my hand on the first one, but uh, you know, Jeremy, of course, uh, you know, works here, uh, and, and I'm, I'm assuming that you are. We've hired you to lead our young people to Jesus. Okay, so that would have been an awkward moment for us right there, wouldn't it? Now, we wouldn't have made you walk out the door right then, but, you know, maybe later. But, uh, no, you know, so, yeah, I have, the, I have the good fortune of that's not the case for me. I used to. I mentioned this morning I used to coach baseball, and, and um, those guys, it was evident uh, that they probably weren't. And so we all have had that. Um, anybody who, who lives maybe uh, around certain people that you see on a regular basis, neighbors, maybe you're in a neighborhood or maybe you live close to anybody have neighbors that you would say, I'm thinking, yeah, odds are. And, and again, uh, trick question, because the, the trick is we all have those people. There's not a person in here tonight that can walk away and not identify at least one person. The next step, then, is to pray specifically for them. So if it helps you, write their name down. Or maybe it's just that whole group of people that I work with. I just write them all down, just that group, you know, the first shift at wherever. Write them down. And begin to, to pray specifically for them. It's very easy, I think, and, and, and I think a temptation for us to sort of leave God out of the process without even meaning to. When we start talking about how do we do this and what do we say and I need this knowledge and we look at these resources and we gain all this, you know, whatever, it's real easy to figure, well, I sort of know what to do and what to say and I'll be pretty good at this and we can leave God out of it unintentionally. None of us in here would say that I'm the one that's going to go save somebody, but we can easily, by our lack of prayer, not involve God in a full in a full way. So pray specifically for them. This week, you, you may simply, that may be what you do. How do I begin? Okay, I've got my list of people. I'm going to start praying for them. And, and not praying, God bless them and be with them. But God, look, you know and I know that they're probably not a believer. God, work on their heart. God, soften them up. Give me opportunities. And maybe some of you, and, and feel free to share. I'd love to hear it. Maybe some of you were the person somebody prayed for for years. For years. Maybe your parents or your grandparents prayed for you or or a friend, or a husband, or wife, or somebody who's never prayed for you for years. And, and then, you, you, unbeknownst to you, that was what was going on behind the scenes, and all of a sudden you just got to the point where you said, I've got to give my life to the Lord. I won't make you tell your story, but I'll, is there anybody in here who was that person? Somebody prayed for you for years? May or may not be. I don't know. Yeah. A couple of folks, yeah, be encouraged. It works. God, God doesn't work on people's hearts. How many of you have prayed for somebody for years? Anybody in there like that at some point or another? Anybody seen an answer to that prayer? Anybody still praying? Yeah. Pray specifically for them. It, it can be a very discouraging thing, but when we leave it in God's hands, we have, we have involved the God of the universe who, who can change anybody's heart. Be intentional, the third one, about having unbelieving friends and building relationships with them. Plan for encounters. This is hard. Sounds real good. 
be intentional about having unbelieving friends and building relationships with them. Plan for encounters. What does the Bible say about having friends that are not believers? Anymore? It's really not a trick question. There's two different sides of it. Anyone else? Just in general? You don't have to have the verse memorized or anything. Just in general, what does it say? No? Okay, yeah. And obviously, we need to, to be aware of who we hang with. Bad company corrupts good character, First Corinthians. What else does it say? What does it imply in the life of Jesus when he was called the friend of sinners? Again, not a trick question. You guys are looking at me like, oh, I'm not so sure. I want to say anything. The truth is that if we allow ourselves to be influenced, then no doubt it will corrupt our good character. The, the flip side of that is Jesus was called in an insulting way by the Pharisees, the friend of sinners. He's going to the home of sinners. So we see this. We have to make sure that we are uninfluenced. That we remain faithful to the Lord and yet at the same time pattern our lives after Jesus who was intentionally realized nothing Jesus ever did was by accident. Nothing ever caught him off guard. It wasn't as, as if he walks up on the woman on the well and he's like, well, okay, God, I guess I'll talk to her. He knew she was going to be there. God in human flesh, he set it all up. There he is, you know, and he's intentional about that. Zacchaeus, he's walking along the road, Luke 19, and he's walking along the road and don't think... And he just kind of glanced around, oh, there's some guy up in the tree. I wonder what he's doing. Hey, what's your name? He, he knew Zacchaeus would be there at that moment. He looks at him and says, come on, I'm going to your house. And he's insulted because he's the friend of sinners. We have to be intentional about having unbelieving friends. And is it not true? And boy, I'll tell you what I face this. We've talked about this before. That the longer you are a Christian, coupled with the older you get, your circle of friends naturally just shrinks anyway. And your circle of unbelieving friends really shrinks. Some of us, and myself included, I have to include myself, have to really, really, really work at being around unbelievers. And I would imagine, and, and, and take, take this with the spirit it's given, and this is just the simple facts. For those who are retired in the room, you're not around those people you used to work with anymore. You probably, like me, have to be very intentional, or you probably go weeks without seeing anybody who's not a believer, or without interacting with them, without having that encounter. Am I right or wrong? Somebody, please correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong. And I'm, I'm, it's not a, again, it's not a slam against anybody who's retired. I, I'm the same way. I work at the church, for crying out loud. I mean, I live across the street. I, you know, I just, you know, that's, so we have to, though, plan for encounters. Think about it. There is a, there's a group of, of people right now that I know, they get together every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the Car Health Building, and they play racquetball for an hour and a half. And my college baseball coach uh, is involved in that group, and he's asked me two or three times, hey, are you in racquetball at all? Maybe you want to come out and play with us. I have yet to do that. That is one of the things that the Lord keeps bringing back to my mind. You need to plan to be there at 1130, just one time. Just one time. Just show up on a Monday, on a Wednesday, on a Friday. Just show up and begin to build relationships and beat those guys in racquetball. That's what God tells me to do. But, but just to begin to, to plan for those encounters, because our human nature will, will naturally not plan for those encounters, because they're kind of messy. And, and those people aren't exactly the kind of folks that are going to promote our good character. 
You know, we have to be on our guard. And, and yet, at the same time, Jesus was their friend. So plan for those encounters. And, and, and realize some of the key words. Friends, that's a key word in the sentence. And relationships, key words. Not be intentional about unbelieving acquaintances and, and building an occasional conversation, but friends and relationships, and it's huge. Find an in, I-N, find an in. Let's see if you can read my mind here, which will be scary if you can. It's also scary for you. What do you think we're talking about here? Find an in. As it pertains directly to the one before it. What do you think? Yes, sir. Yeah, find common ground or common interest. Yeah. Some of you obviously have certain things that you do that lots of other people like to do too. Or maybe it's unique and you find somebody and you both are interested in the same sort of thing. Find an in however you can with somebody. Certainly those of you that are grandparents. Talk about grandkids. Don't grandparents love to talk about grandkids and they pull out their watch? You know, here comes all the pictures, you know, and it's this long, you know. And, Talk about grandkids. Talk about what they're doing. See who can outdo each other on bragging on grandkids. And you know, and then begin to just brag on God. Somehow turn the conversation. Find an end. Find some common ground. Those of you that are better at work, you, you just never know what sort of common ground you'll find on sports, on life, just whatever it may be. I'm, I'm thankful. And I've always wondered, and I still don't completely know all the ramifications of it, why God made me a good baseball player. But there are guys that I can talk to. There, there are people I can talk to because we have that common ground. And, and, you know, I haven't played in 10 years. You know, it's, my career is long gone. I wasn't that good, so it's over. You know what I mean? But there, there are people that I have an in with because of sports. Find your in with people. Everybody's got one. You, you are not a boring person. God has not made a single boring person. Every single person is a creation of God and, and unbelievably interesting. You just got to find it. And then begin to nurture that. Lead with love and humility. Lead with love and humility. Nobody likes an arrogant person, period. Nobody likes them. We don't have any of those people here tonight, thankfully, so I don't have to tell anybody here that nobody likes you. But you understand what I mean? Nobody likes somebody who's just proud and arrogant. And nobody likes them. Nobody likes somebody who's really, really, really rough around the edges and hard to talk to, and you just nobody likes those people. Let's be honest. So lead with love and humility. And by... The virtue of being a Christian, that's in you. It's in there. Lead with love and humility. Invest and invite. Invest and invite. Just talking about how to begin. These may be, you may pick one or two of these. Invest in somebody's life in such a way that you, in a sense, earn the right to invite them maybe to church or into a conversation. You probably have neighbors, friends, coworkers, family members, or whatever. And if you begin to lead with love and humility, very intentional, talking with them, just being interested and so on, investing in their lives, doing something for them or on their behalf, you never know. They may be open to that. You remember what we talked about, that the overwhelming, what was it, 80, 82%, I think, of people who are unchurched are likely or somewhat likely to go to church if they're invited. That's all it takes. Hey, why don't you go to church with me? Many of us are like that. Just invited by somebody. So invest and invite. Next one's a hard one. Take a risk. 
take a risk. <clears throat> you may have to go back a few years, or maybe you are right there in it. Anybody in here consider yourself, or have been considered by other people anyway, a risk taker? Raise your hand if you, if you I, I, I'll raise my hand only to say, raise your hand, because I have to put it right back down. I'm not usually a risk taker. I see that in, in Lucy, our oldest daughter. Lucy is the firstborn of two firstborn children. And so she plays it safe most of the time. And maybe you know a little bit about birth order or whatever, but usually it's it's the second or third child. Nora is a daredevil, our, our, our two-year-old. She's just climbing all over Lucy plays it pretty safe. This one's one that I have to really get myself going on, sort of putting yourself out there. What is it that's involved when you begin to, to take personal evangelism seriously as something we must do? What is the risk? What, what are we talking about there? Just maybe you personally or just in general, what do you think? And taking a risk. Okay? And, and when you specifically, when you say stepping out of your comfort zone, what does that look like? Maybe in your life, just what you what you said, what are you talking about? Okay. It's risky. It's, it's tough to get out of that comfort zone because then you start talking about things that aren't sort of up here. You know what I mean? Aren't real sort of surface, you know. And, and granted, you know a lot about cars, and I know a lot about baseball, but when you talk to people about cars and I talk to people about, about baseball, normally it's up here, isn't it? And that's the way it is. I don't normally go real personal when I talk about baseball. You know, all of a sudden shift from baseball to your personal life. And it's not a good transition, you know. The transmission drops out of the bottom of the car at that point. How about that? And so, you know, but you're right. It is. What else do you think is, is risky? Maybe Wendy summed it up. Maybe you've got something else. What do you think? Yeah, obviously we've talked about that a little bit, the fear of rejection. It's a risk. Nobody likes to be rejected. Thursday night when, when we had the <clears throat> Purchaser Association meeting, I'll tell this story. So if you go to that, you'll hear the story again. I won't give you all the details. This conference I was at this past week was a, a conference for church leaders, and, and they gear it for church leaders 40 and under. Uh, that, that goes right out the door as soon as they start selling tickets because it's a really good conference, and they just they, they, there's no stipulation on that. That's just sort of who they gear it for. And so you can imagine that they do some really sort of crazy kinds of things. You know what I'm talking about? They're still really young, and they like to do that. They had this guy, and again, the non-risk taker makes this guy's nuts. And he really was. They had this guy, every year at this conference, they try to break some sort of record. And, and the Guinness Book of World Records has been there every single year they've done so. They have the world's largest pillow fight, 13,000 people fighting with pillows at one time in the arena, okay? They had the, the most people breaking records at the same time, literally the vinyl records, breaking them all at the same time. They broke the record for breaking records. Does that make sense? And so they've done all these crazy things. This year, we come back in from a break, and they're kind of playing some music, and a guy gets them on the stage, and they tell, tell you, and we've broken a record every year, yeah, yeah. And they say, this year we're going to do something that, that is beyond anything else we've ever done. And they've got this little kiddie pool, like you know, a kid's swimming pool. It couldn't have been more than you know, 10 feet in length and about 4 feet in, in width, and it was oval. So you can kind of imagine it was about a foot deep. 
and under that was some cushions, like some some foam padding or whatever. And there was a, exactly a foot, a little bit less than a foot, about 11, 10 or so inches um, of, uh, of water. And this guy, who I, I'm thinking, okay, they're going to, you know, this guy's going to jump off or whatever this thing, he's going to go into the water. He's probably in his mid 20s or something. He's to be 50 years old. And I'm not saying that as old, old, but talking about doing this, that's old. I'm not doing that. That's for somebody much younger than me to try something crazy. This guy's older than I am. So he goes 35 feet, 9 inches in the air. I'm not lying to you. And he stands up on this platform wearing one of those. You ever seen people that do that Greco-Roman wrestling, those suits they wear? He's wearing something like that, jumping out and be caught dead in that. And so anyway, here's this guy, and he jumps from 35 feet in the air and does a, just a, a belly flop into this pool of water. And I'm thinking, Nancy was going to walk out of the room. She said, I can't watch this guy die. I'm not going to do it. And so he just splashes down. All the water goes everywhere. And he stands up, and he's just excited, you know. And, and I think, he's nuts. And sometimes the truth is, when we start personal evangelism, we feel like that guy. And he said, every time he does that, he's petrified. As you can well imagine. Hello. <laughs> you know, you think. You're petrified enough that I'm you just stay on the ground. You know, I just kind of. You know, fall into it backwards. But but that's the truth. Sometimes we feel like that's what we're doing, is we're going 35 feet in the air and jumping off. And the good news is, is that we have a whole lot more than a foot of water and about three feet of foam padding to catch us. We have the entire Word of God. We have God's presence himself to catch us. And so a lot of times what we think is a major risk is really not. And I'll leave it at that because that, that's a lot to chew on to think that really what we perceive as a risk, and the way God looks at it, is just normal. It's what we ought to be doing. It doesn't make it necessarily any easier in our human eyes, but, but, uh, but still, anyway, I'll tell that story again Thursday night at the, at the meeting. So if you're there, you can just kind of laugh and make everybody else think they're supposed to laugh at that time. You know, because when you, uh, side note, complete side note, when you preach to a different crowd than you're used to, Talk about a little bit nerve-wracking. You look out and you see some faces that aren't used to your style or whatever you do. I, y'all may not be used to my style either. I don't know. I get some, it's funny. I get some, some interesting looks on Sunday morning. People are kind of looking at me like, what are you, you know, and I think, what Nancy, I think I told you that Nancy was looking at me like that one time. I got home and said, Nancy, what did I say? What was wrong? Nothing. Why? I said, well, you were looking at me like I was crazy. Really? She had no idea the look was on her face, you know. And uh, so anyway, Thursday night, if you're able to be there and, and you can laugh at the appropriate time, to at least make me feel a little better. The next one, develop conversation skills. And I, I include this because if we're going to begin, obviously this stuff is going to happen in conversation. Some of you are great conversationalists. No question. You, you'll look at this list and, and, and this will be you. For others, we may need to work on it. But I think I want to include that just so maybe it's helpful. Here's some tips. You're starting a conversation with somebody. Here's some things that go a long way and really aren't that hard to do. The overall theme here is to seek first to understand and to be understood. Great conversations. Think about the people in your life that you really enjoy talking to. They, they want to understand. They're not just trying to give their opinion all the time. Um, so let's, let's roll down the list. Be interested. Be interested. Sometimes this is a hard one because you may not find what somebody else does or is or says interesting. 
That's not a trick question. That's a legitimate question. What do you do then? If you're supposed to, in conversation, just, I don't have a verse for this, all right? I'm just, this is just human stuff. If you're supposed, if you're going to be a good conversationalist, which hopefully will lead to the sharing of the gospel and building a relationship and all that kind of stuff, and you're supposed to be interested to be a good conversationalist, good friend, what if you're not? Did you ever run into that? Maybe, maybe I'm just the only one who thinks, um, I don't know what to say to this person. I find them kind of boring. Maybe you think that's me. I don't know. What do you do? Tough day to go to church. <laughs> yeah, you might have to go back. <laughs> they got a new one. Go back now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. about that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, you know, there, there are folks in, yeah. That's great. No, that's a good idea. Absolutely. No, that's, yeah. You know, a lot of times if you just hang in there in a conversation, Things become a little bit easier, a little more interesting. Um, one way you can force yourself, how about this, to be interested is to make eye contact. Make eye contact. Some of you have been educators uh, or public speakers of some sort, and you know the, the power of, of eye contact. You, I mean, you've seen it. You've had to communicate to a group, to a large group, to a class, to whatever it may be. And, and you know that the power of that. Um, in conversation, those people who make eye contact seem interesting. You may not be. You may, your mind may be somewhere else. Let's be honest. We've all done that, but not today, of course. You know, Sunday, Holy Day. But we've all done that, haven't we? We've all been somewhere else, but we're still making eye contact, you know. But sometimes you can almost force yourself to pay attention if you'll just make eye contact. Again, I... You know, I don't have verses for all this stuff. Just trying to give you, if we're going to begin, we're going to talk about these things. Let's practice good conversation skills. Ask leading questions. Ask leading questions. So what do we mean by that? It's not a, not a real difficult concept, no trick question. What are we asking leading questions? What is that? 
Okay? And a response that's different than exactly. Yeah, something that, that gets them talking. So again, it's not, not, not a trick question, not, not really a difficult thing in concept. That's when you begin, as Brent mentioned earlier, you find something of common interest and begin asking questions about it. <laughs> maybe, maybe. You know, and it's interesting how sometimes when you start with a very neutral subject, you'll find that maybe they, they have something that they say, and you can ask a question about that. The, the people that are the greatest conversationalists, the most fun to talk to, are the folks that, that sort of, they ask a few questions, they kind of get you talking, and, you know, and they really didn't say a whole lot. They just kind of got the conversation going, and they, they kind of kept it going with questions. And, and that's who people enjoy talking with. They really do. And so asking leading questions, just like, you know, with Ronnie Sanders' encounter today with the man at the park, just asking some questions. What, what happened? A hard question. It's not an offensive question, really. What happened? What happened with your church? What, what went on? And you may, here it goes, you know, just kind of the guy just vomits all that stuff on you, if you know what I mean. But there you go. There's your end. There's your way to invite. There's your way to invest, even. In just a short period of time, that guy thought you cared. And you did. He thought you cared, and okay, I'll listen. Remember names. From what I understand, they get harder as you get older. If that's the case, I'm in trouble, because I tell you what, sometimes they go in one ear and out the other, and boy, I wish that weren't the case for me. Sometimes it's really important what I do. Just remember names, and I'm so awful at that sometimes. What what have you learned? And and let's get very, very practical. What are some ways that that you can remember somebody's name? Anybody have any suggestions? Okay, like, like what exactly? Sure. Okay. So, simple. <laughs> that's the hard part, is yeah. But that's good though to try to associate it somehow with something else that triggers your memory to, to remember that person's name. Any, anybody else? Yes, sir. somebody and you know you ought to know them and you can't remember their name for anything? Isn't that awful? Yeah. You remember where they live? <laughs> How about that? <laughs> yeah. 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 When Nancy and I moved from Murray State, after we got married, after we graduated, moved back to Louisville. <clears throat> and I had, uh, over over time, uh, you know, I was real involved with, uh, with my high school when I was a student and went back to coach there, and then I was the youth pastor at my home church. And so it was sort of all these people that I had known for a long time, but I, I just struggled sometimes to remember, like, where do I know you from and who are you and what's your name? And so uh, the first couple of years of our marriage, Nancy would stand there and wait for me to introduce her. 
never would. And she'd say, why didn't you introduce me? That's rude. I said, I don't know who they are. I can't remember their name. And so, and so finally I said, we devised a plan, which was not very creative. It's just something you all have probably done. Now, Nancy knows if I don't introduce someone immediately, she introduces herself and gets their name so that I'll hear it. And I can then tell her, oh, yeah, that's that. You know. So please take no offense ever. If we're standing somewhere and you happen to not know my wife and I don't introduce you, it's just simply because it's her turn, you know. And so that's I, I struggle with that, too. And, and, and yet at the same time, isn't it so valuable when somebody just remembers who you are? It is. And, and granted, we, we know and we understand. Folks, we struggle with names sometimes. We, you try not to take offense to that. I don't, I've been called all kinds of different things, you know, and Brent and Brett and Brian and whatever. I mean, I've been called a lot worse than that, too. But, but you know, at the same time, it, it just goes a long way. It really does. And so when you're dealing with those folks who you're praying for and looking for those opportunities, let's try to do the best we can uh, to either have uh, your spouse introduce themselves or for you to remember their name. How about that? Speak a normal language. Speak a normal language. I'm not talking about English. I'm talking about removing uh, the God speak, so to speak, if you understand what I mean, the church language of things. Does that mean that we have to get away from what's true and all that? No. But when we talk about sanctification and justification and all of that, folks, have, they have no idea. Maybe one day they did. I don't know. Maybe several years ago. People just don't know that. And we'll, when we get to this a little bit more, we'll look at what sort of, what can we exchange? This is what we used to say, what we know it as, you know, in our Bibles, and what we can say in a, in a, in a normal conversation that will make sense to somebody without, without devaluing the Word. that makes sense? So we'll get to some of that. Um, but if you've got, I don't know if you if you've got, what are some of the words that you think of that we say? And, and this is hard because we say them all the time here at church. It's just the way we speak. It's our Baptist language, our church language, whatever it may be. Um, what are some of those words that you've come across that people just flat don't get? Anything? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does being saved mean? You know, it's, it's interesting. The things that are often so familiar to people who have been in church for a long time are the most foreign concepts and terminologies. When you begin to explain it, oh, okay, makes sense. But just to use the words, well, sometimes that's difficult. We talk about fellowship. What do we think of? Eating. I don't know what other people think of. That's, what else is there to think of? You think of fellowship. Let's go eat. You know, I mean, that's the way it is. I've got a Baptist church. I know it's like. But, you know, there's, there's some things that we say that folks are just, what are you talking about? I try to be very careful, even from the pulpit. And some of you may think, well, you're dumbing this stuff down. I, I just realized that there are probably people that come every week that really don't understand the traditional way of talking about something. By no means am I saying to water anything down. Not at all. But at the same time, to communicate in a way that, oh, look at that. So speak a normal language. And then we'll close with, with these, this last one, be ready. Individually, we can be ready through our integrity, live the right way. Certainly, the, the more integrity you have, the more somebody will probably listen to you, and the more confident you'll feel about saying whatever it is that you need to say to them about the Lord. The knowledge is another. And, and again, this is sort of the whole purpose behind what we're doing. And these resources may provide you some knowledge, or you may already have it, but that makes you definitely more confident, more ready. And then together, 
Um, everything we do at church matters. Everything. Everything we do at church matters. From the time a guest leaves their car in the parking lot to when they drive off, everything matters. And I'm not saying that as if, listen to me and I'll tell you how to do it all. It's just the flat, basic truth. If you have ever been a guest somewhere, a hotel, a church, wherever it is, you know you're paying attention to everything. That person wasn't friendly to me. I don't know where to go. What in the world does that mean? They were really nice. Those people seemed like they actually liked that I was there. Everything matters. From from the time they leave their car, every experience they have, everything their kids do, all of it, it all matters. And so we just together we just need to remember that, that that we are as strong, so to speak, as our weakest link. If you understand what I mean, everything matters. Don't ever underestimate the power of that handshake on a Sunday morning to the to the guests. There's some guests sitting right back here this Sunday morning. And I saw many of you just gather around and shake their hand, even after the service, just talking. I thought, that's huge. And you may think, oh, well, that's just what we do. We just shake hands. It's huge. Everything we do matters. Every single thing. I, I, I could talk all night about that. But create a positive, along the same line, create a positive experience for visitors. Together, that's what we can do. Just create a positive experience. Love on them. Tell them we're glad they're here. Pay attention. Get Learn their name. The whole deal. Make eye contact. All of that. Create a positive experience for visitors. Together, that's what we can do. We never know who the Lord's going to bring. So this week, if you're hanging on to these, or maybe you just make a post-it note somewhere, identify those people that you can pray for, and then begin to be intentional and see what happens. I would love for next Sunday evening, uh, if if you can if you can do this, here's here's your homework. Be ready next Sunday evening. Let's share a couple of stories about those people that we sort of were more intentional with this week than we were last. Maybe it's a friend, a family member, whoever. Maybe you have to take a risk. But let's see if we can encourage one another with, okay, look, we're all in this together. I did this. You can do this. Let's see if we can share some stories. And I'll I'll do the same. Let's uh, pray together and then we'll have a song. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be a representative here on earth. May we never take that for granted or take it lightly or ignore it. But God, we pray for courage and boldness and that you would help us to take the risk maybe that we need. Lord, we pray that this week uh, that we would identify those people, pray for them, and then be very intentional about our relationships with those people who need Jesus. We thank you that, that in the past people prayed for us and were intentional in introducing us to Jesus or inviting us to church so we could hear the message and so on. So God, help us this week. And thank you for each person that's here. And for a church like Elm Grove, we thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen.